Does everybody want to do the coordination clap? I would love to. Sure. Okay. <laughs> do you have to call it that now after the clap clip the other day? Yeah, I have to call it that <laughs> after the uh, after the winds of Ganoria. All right. Three, two, one. Okie doke. Clap clip. Yes, that was the clap clip. Avocado! <laughs> this is episode 204 of Insert Credit, the relentless smorgasbord of video game topics our panel must address in no more than six minutes or face the penalty of a horrible buzzer. I'm Alex Jaffe, back in New York City, and right now my phone is at 51% battery life. <laughs> okay, I'm Brandon Sheffield, still in Oakland, and... My phone battery is at 73% right now. Also, if oh. people didn't understand that avocado, uh, man, yeah. there was this very good, <laughs> very good little little joke that was going around, which was uh, somebody saying, what's the main ingredient of guacamole? And it has Bayonetta dancing around a bunch before doing her avavago spell, yeah. which uh, when you have the context sounds really like she's screaming avocado. And Yeah, it, that, that was the joke. That was the joke. But, you know, people might not have known. I had to had to let him know. It's almost like I start every one of these episodes with a joke that, like, only three people in the audience are intended to get. I, I suppose it is. It is kind of like that. But that one was so current and Twitter related. I felt like, you know, people would want to go and see. We're like, oh, I know this one. And you were excited <laughs> to share that you knew it. <laughs> right. I mean, I didn't get the joke because I literally almost yanked my headphones out of my ears because it was so loud. <laughs> my favorite part of that joke is that the Spanish word for lawyer is, I think, is like abrogado. Abogado, yeah. Abogado, yeah. yeah. So there's another version of that tweet <laughs> that talks oh, about man. the Spanish lawyer. Yeah, that's really good. You get hit by a car, who do you call? Yeah. Um, we're, we've heard a couple voices. They should introduce themselves, say where they're broadcasting from and what their phone battery life is right now. Yeah, I'm Matthew Kumar. I'm broadcasting from Toronto, and I uh, just upgraded my phone for the first time in five years. Well, my uh, phone battery is in fact at 72% rather than hovering around 11% all day. Oh, Brandon, <laughs> what was yours again? 73. Oh, wow. That's the one to beat. We got one more guest on the show this week. An old favorite. Hi, it's Ash. Uh, I am broadcasting from Ohio and my phone battery is at 83%. So Dang! Yeah, we got a winner over here. Ash taking an early lead this episode of Insert Credit. But speaking of tallying points, it was in fact our own Brandon Sheffield who won last week's episode, which means he gets to introduce our first topic this week. Brandon, did you bring anything for the class? I just remember that right now when you started talking about points. So the answer is, wait, no, I just suddenly thought of something. I got it. Okay. All right. Can you think of any games that have either been helped or hindered by having what really feels like a tertiary system in it. This came to me because I was playing the Sega CD version of Dungeon Explorer. And in this game, so Dungeon Explorer is like a gauntlet style game where you got hordes of enemies and you're shooting projectiles at them and they have spawn hubs that you have to hit. But it's also got Explorer right in the name. So you're supposed to explore around, find loot, get upgrades, get keys, doors and whatever kind of stuff. But what they chose to do is also put in a food meter, which I believe they had in Gauntlet, but they didn't have in any other version of Dungeon Explorer. And so 
when you're looking around this place trying to find all the little extra things, you have a food meter that is constantly ticking down and which you cannot bring back up in any way. So eventually, if you take too long, so you 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 look around, find all the stuff, and then you get to the boss, but you run out of food, you just die. And it's like a fun game that is completely ruined by having this one extra thing, which is like, oh, this was this was probably too friendly to these players. We should add a arbitrary time limit that just makes them stop playing and stop having fun and anybody got any experiences with those kinds of games i think the most popular example of this in recent cultural memory is uh item and weapon durability in uh, Mm. zelda breath of the wild that's just an element of the game a lot of people got turned off by yeah some people love that yeah some people love it i do not love it no uh, but uh, there's something you can do about that. It's uh, It can be argued that that adds to the game through inventory management, whereas this kind of constantly down-ticking food meter can't do anything to raise. It's just a bad mechanic. I think it's one of those things that really speaks to the complexity of, as you say, you know, inventory management and all this type of stuff. Like the classic thing of, let's say you're playing Silent Hill, right? And you're like, well, I got all these health kits. I'm almost dead, but... I can't use them because I only have 99, right? Or right. the same with RPGs and everything else. Like it's something I th- I've been thinking about a lot because when you when you for example you make a horror game like scarcity is actually really scary, but as a player because you know you can do things multiple times, you will think to yourself, well, I'll try try and beat it without using it. And I can't remember what the game is that I was playing recently, but it really frustrated me that the things would get used up. And I was like, simply because I would, won't, they will get used up, I can't keep them after this point, I just won't use them, just making right. the experience less pleasant. And I think it's really, really difficult to balance that. It's like, how do you keep the player, particularly in harder games or or any game that's supposed to be somewhere scary, on the edge of feeling like they're about to fail and so they have to use their stuff, but not like in a situation where they're just safe enough that they don't. Save ribbons in the early Resident mm. Evils are exactly yeah. that, where it's like, you're going to make me manage how many times I save across this, and I have to I have to decide whether I'm going to save and whether I might have to backtrack for two hours. Like, that's, that's a game killer for me right there. Like, I understand the tension they're trying to build, but the tension that it builds for me, it builds all the way to me not playing the game anymore because I'm, I don't have that kind of time to where I can replay something or like that's that's not a risk reward for me yeah there's that push and pull right in games like dark souls right where it's like the idea is like oh you've built up a lot of experience um so you should go back or really push further to get more experience but again for certain types of game players like myself included your feeling is like well i have like a tiny amount so i'll just go back and save like and then they do all this stuff to try and stop you doing it and it just becomes this this extra like pressure of constantly managing at what point you think you you will have wasted your time if you go any further? As as Jaffe said, some people love this stuff, they, and it really works for them. So I have two for this. Um, one is the sanity mechanic in the um the old um, amnesia games. I don't I'm not particularly fond of them. A because I think it's kind of weird, you know, like the whole sanity thing and whatever. And the other part, like you know, have to manage it. Like you stand in the light, or you can't be in the dark for too long, or you'll go crazy, as it were. And Aside from the fact that it's kind of like a gross like stigmatization of like mental illness or whatever, the fact that when you you know that you're losing your sanity is you hear this like grindy, gross, like someone is chewing with their mouth open kind of noise and it's like right in your ear and it bugs me. I don't necessarily I don't have misophonia or where you like get weird out by those kinds of sounds, but it's just enough to where like I can't do this. And so my other one is um 
uh, not a ruined, but an enhanced game. And I don't necessarily know if it qualifies as like a tertiary system, but real estate management and fable is um, a totally unnecessary function in that game that absolutely 100% improves the game. Oh yeah. Landlord sim. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's kind of different because it's more like a mini game almost, whereas like a, a tertiary system, as I'm thinking about it, would be something that that affects the entirety of the game. Something you have to think about throughout the yeah, whole thing. Something they layered in. Yeah, then absolutely the sanity system in those games. I would say, though, in Fable 3, which is terrible, the mm. real estate system is, is something you think about all the time because once you get about halfway through that game, the entire game becomes about raising enough money to not fail at the end of the game and so you end up having to own every building in the entire country mm -hmm. which makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever because that's not how kings work i was going to say something about the uh skyrim survival mods but uh we're out of time so we need to move on that's my phone okay uh question number two did that, did that uh get your phone battery down at all it's charging so it's up to 62 percent oh all right all, all right, right. It's that sounds like right? cheating, Jaffe, because surely yeah. the goal is to count the numbers again at the end of the show and see who wins <laughs> then. <laughs> I didn't think of that. We'll have to do that another time. We need to insert credit where we evaluate if these hosts' uh, phones are pieces of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's been one week since the Nintendo Direct. Now that we've had some time to calm down, was everyone overreacting to the Mario movie casting? No, news? no, no. That is a completely valid response. Well, yes. Yes and no. Because who really gives a shit about a Mario movie? It's going to be right. for babies, right? It's the Minions people. Yeah, it's the Minions people, right? But on the other hand, like, I think it's fair to be like, what deranged planet are you on where these are the people you pick? Like, like it's it's fine to just be like, what the hell is going on? Like, But at the same time, yeah, who cares? It's for babies. Is it for babies, though? Or is it one of those things that's marketed towards children, but adults will absolutely watch it? Like, um... oh, It's for adult babies. Yeah. <laughs> No, but see, the thing with the Mario thing is, is that a lot of those choices were really inspired because you've got Jack Black as Bowser. Hello? Yeah, that's great. I'm watching that movie for him alone. But like Chris Pratt, like the worst Chris for a multitude of reasons, just defies explanation. When Charles Martinet is right there. And then the other thing that made me feel like so terrible is that we already have this discussion about, you know, voice acting and acting are completely two different like functions. Yes. They, they don't they, they do not like cross over. But for some reason now we've gotten into this like thing where we think they can cross over while we're putting like voice actors out of jobs. Charles Martinet is right there. So my solution there is um, Nolan North does all the voices. He does yeah. Mario. He does Peach. He does Bowser. I mean, that's the correct decision. I will say, have you heard Charles Martinet speak an entire sentence, let alone an entire paragraph in the Mario voice? It's not pleasant. The guy is a sound effect artist, not a voice artist, which is a different skill set. Like, you can find videos of him doing, like, Nintendo DS technical videos in the Mario voice, and it just sucks a lot to hear. Yeah, it used to be at um, E3, right? When you yeah. were standing in queues to get into the uh, Nintendo booth, they'd have these big screens, and sometimes Charles Martin would be on them, like, talking to the people in the queue, and he would talk to you at length in Mario's voice. And at a certain point, it was kind of a bit like, imagine if when you were standing in line to get into Sony's booth, they just had someone raking their hands up and down a blackboard the yeah. whole time. Mm. So if you got Charles Martinet to just do the Mario voice for 90 minutes, I feel like that would be a bad time. But not Chris. Okay, so who's who's a better Mario that's not Charles Martinet or Chris Pratt? Who's a better Mario? You know who I would get? I would get Dana Carvey. Mm. <laughs> okay. 
So somebody's watching the only murderers in the building. Oh no, yeah. that's not that's Martin Short. Never that's mind. Martin Short. Yeah. Well, who are our most famous Italian actors? Or is she clearly one of them? Yeah. Giancarlo Esposito. I am not kidding. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. It should just be Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins is dead, isn't he? Yeah, he's dead. It's not my fault. <laughs> Get John Leguizamo to do it. Yeah, that'd be that would be good. Yeah, Johnny Legs. Uh, the uh, graduation from Luigi to Mario. Yeah, and the little brother has finally become the big brother. That could mm-hmm. be the tagline. Yeah, people would yeah. like that. I would. Here's like it. my theory on how they're going to use Charles Martinet in this movie. Because they tease, though, he's going to be in it, so he'll get royalty checks for something. Uh, we didn't forget about this guy. Here's my theory. I think when Chris Pratt gets a super mushroom, he's going to start doing the Mario voice. Oh, God. Well, yeah, what kind of um, voice is Chris Pratt going to do for Mario? Because imagine Mario, that weird yeah. squat parody of an Italian plumber, speaking yeah. with Chris Pratt's voice. It just doesn't make sense to me. So is he going to do like a Mario voice the whole time? I think it'll be some kind of middle ground that'll end up sounding like his Lego movie character. And it's possible that I dreamed this, but I thought Charles Martinet was playing himself in the movie. Can you imagine that? <laughs> uh, no, you imagine that. They said he's going to have a special cameo. Because I assumed it was going to be one of those movies where like yeah. Mario comes into the real world and he has to yeah, partner yeah. up with the guy from uh, Sonic to, sure. I don't know, get his wife back or something. I don't know. He's going to have a Stanley-like cameo. Where this old white guy is going to show up and like give directions to Mario, and then like yeah, yeah. nobody except yeah. the the weird gamer nerds are going to know like oh my god that's Mario, and then he'll be just he's going to like wipe his eyes and go mamma mia no yeah. I've seen everything exactly <laughs> yeah just like they do in Italy just like in Italy just like they drew it up I've been to Rome and uh, people didn't sound nearly as much like Mario as I hoped they would. But do they sound like the Sopranos? They don't sound like the Sopranos either. What what I'm starting to realize is that maybe Italy is not a real... Yeah. Mm. It goes in the same list as Finland. Oh, wait. No, Australia. Australia isn't the real country. You could make an argument that Italy is just a loosely connected uh, collection of city-states that kind of reorganized into what resembles a country. Well, that that is pretty much true. I mean, they. I don't know if y'all saw that thing. It was super cool about like part of the reason why you know in the sopranos they say mozzadel instead of mozzarella and whatever is a lot of the immigration from italy to the u.s happened world war one and then world war two and that was before italy had an like a standardized italian and so that everybody was kind of speaking different languages like they were speaking corsican language instead of standardized italian and so these words are actually like holdovers from uh, great grandmas and great grandpas who spoke those dialects and then brought them here and they like more people speak those dialects in the u.s than or understand them than in italy it's wild my assumption was that when they got off the boat at ellis island you know and the customs agent was there he's like what's this it's like it's cheese mozzarella and he's like it's called mozzarella now so just keep moving (laughs) yeah in conclusion polly walnuts should be playing mario oh polly sure (laughs) sounds good in a side-scrolling game, how large should the player character be? Big as possible. Absolutely. That's the opposite of how I feel about it. That's that's my PC Engine influence there, because they were always trying to be like, we can make a character that's this big. Look at that. No, I, it, it shouldn't be that big. Um, I think they should be roughly, uh, I think between 20 and 25% of the screen. I know that's much bigger than most people would say, but I like... That's quite large. Well, are we talking platformer or, or beat-em-up? Let's go through it. Because I think for a beat-em-up, they can be much bigger. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I was thinking beat-em-up, not 
not platformer. I think for like a beat em up and even a run and gun, they can be bigger. But for platformers, they got to be a little small. What's an example of some run and gun beat em up games where characters are that size? The Final Fight series has pretty big characters. It's it's almost like not quite fighting game size, but almost there because you don't need a huge amount of vertical space and the game is constantly constraining you with arbitrary walls and invisible barriers where it's like you can't go any further you got to beat up all these guys first you can have them be like a third of the screen or more and it still works because all you really want to do is be able to see who's right next to you and beat them up and see all those inputs right yeah it's it's weird on that because um really i feel like the the beam up that always stands in my mind is final fight right and so when i go back and play like other beat-em-ups with smaller characters like your Kunio-kuns or your NES Double Dragons, I'm always like, these characters are so small. It's not yeah. acceptable to me. Yeah. Sounds like you're describing God Hand, actually. It's a great game. Are they small? Uh, no, I mean, God Hand is the size of the screen. Oh, yeah. It's a third-person beat-em-up, and part of the reason it may be so satisfying to real diehards of that format is because of that size real estate he takes up. Although I do think when you get into 3D, it gets tough because uh, I assumed we were talking 2D before, but when you get into 3D, we were. it's it's difficult because you wind up with characters off screen doing stuff at you, which there are ways to solve that, but most games don't. I think they should just be as large as possible. I always got a kick out of the Giga Mushroom in, uh, was it New Super Mario's? Wii U, where he yeah. just gets huge and just like crushes the entire stage. I enjoyed that. Forget they it. took that from Bonk 3. Thanks very much. You would want that the whole time, though. Yeah, let's throw level design out the window and just crush everything. Yeah, heck level design. Right, Matthew? As a level designer, I must stand up for my profession. <laughs> you are extremely important, and the way I've designed the level is the way you are going to do it. Stop trying to do it other ways. Which is why you like your side-scrolling characters to be really small, because it's the level that's the most important part. Yeah. Well, actually, the reason I like characters to be quite small, Brandon said, like, as a give or take, like a 20% in general is, is a good starting position, either smaller or larger, purely in terms of screen height on a 16 by 9 screen, right? The thing that I have learned in my career is that the number one most annoying fucking thing in the entire world is video game cameras. Now, 3D obviously famously a problem, but people don't understand how challenging actually even a good camera in 2D is because you want enough look ahead for the player to understand what they're looking at. And especially if they're moving in more than one direction, let's say you're making a Metroidvania or something like that, where they'll be turning around and traversing areas in different directions, it becomes an absolute nightmare the larger a character is because you're able to show less a look ahead and then you're forced into situations where you have to like have very intelligent cameras that that switch positions quickly which can lead to motion sickness and everything else so really the ideal probably game character for me is he's probably about two or three pixels tall and right. uh, we just go from there <laughs> yeah i remember uh with indivisible we also had the problem with the camera there was load-in issues like if you were standing in like a transition zone and you went ahead a little bit or if you went too fast then the the part ahead of you wouldn't be loaded in, and then if you flipped around, the part behind you might not be loaded in. Yeah, people who play games don't understand just how much of the game just straight up is not running when they're not, like, right. when it's just not on screen. Like, calling it everything else. I remember that video a long time ago, right, where somebody was like, can you believe in The Witcher 3, they don't, like, show this part of the level when you're not there? It's like, yeah, because that's culling, right? But even in 2D, culling and loading in different scenes, the way Unity works, you're, you're often, like, 
having multiple scenes running at the same time and then to go to another scene, you don't want it all in the same thing because you want more people working on it, which is a nightmare. You could be very constrained by that type of stuff. So uh, that's the exact same issue with the camera, right? You can't be showing people like way, way, way ahead of them because you just don't have the ability to load it in in time. Ah, uh, man. So you have to be yeah. so careful. That's why so many games, like even something like, let's say like Hollow Knight or something like that, like you're not transitioning, you transition from screen to screen with blacking it out. You'd think, why do you need to do that? Because it's a nightmare otherwise. Yeah, and with, with run and gun type games, you want the character to be toward the back part of the screen because you need to be able to avoid projectiles and shoot projectiles. So right. we'll learn about that later. Okay, uh, we got a trailer for the new Bayonetta game. Uh, Hideki Kami is back. Bayonetta's in pigtails. Uh, where does the series have to go from here? Ash? <laughs> Anywhere it wants to. Yeah. This is Bayonetta. Like, she can go to the moon. She has gone to the moon. Like, this is the woman who punched God in the face, like, a couple times in the first in the first game. She did. She literally punched God into the sun. So, like, I don't know. We started pretty damn high. Right. How do we... <laughs> like, the problem with Bayonetta 2 is that they did everything you could do in Bayonetta 1. Like, wasn't Bayonetta 1 where you had that, like, maybe just a touch too long sequence where you're doing that shooter thing, too? Oh, yeah. Like, didn't it do all of that? Like It did all of it. We started high. So, like, yeah. the thing I appreciated about Bayonetta 2 is that it markets itself as a Christmas game, kind of like Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So I appreciated that. But, like, the only way we can go in, like, Bayonetta 3, and which is what I think it's, like, hinting at, is multiverse. Yeah. We've got, like, timeline fuckery going on in Bayonetta 2. The Cereza stuff from the yeah, first Yeah, the game. Cereza braids. Yeah. Like, she's embracing that younger version of herself. So, yeah, we're getting timeline shenanigans here. So we're going Spider-Verse with it. We're going to yeah. get a bunch of Bayonettas at once. Which would be amazing. Sure. There should be three, because it's Bayonetta It's Bayonetta 3. 3, sure. Also, what they should have done, there's only one E in the name. They could have put the three there, in my opinion. Yeah, Bayonetta. Bayonetta. Yeah, we absolutely. Should have. Here's my most important question about Bayonetta 3. Uh, in the first game, we got a cheesy cover of Fly Me to the Moon. Second game, we got a cheesy cover of Moon River. Uh, what's the cheesy cover in this one? We, we need to keep with the moon theme. Huh. And it's got to be kind of Frank Sinatra Rat Pack adjacent, too. What's the, um, when the moon hits your eye like That's a amore? big... That's Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it'll be a Mario crossover. Yeah. Well, it is a Switch exclusive. There you go. Could be that. Did they do Blue Moon already or not? Uh, they did not do Blue Moon. I think Blue Moon's a good candidate. That would be good. It's a little later than the other two standards, but, I mean, the franchise is a little old. Yeah, it's a, and it's a, you know, it's a... It's not exactly a crooner song, but you, you could do it that way. Yeah, I, I could hear it. Yeah, I think it works. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. That's all. Yeah, of like, course. This is what I've been waiting for for a very long time. Like, we've been on Bayonetta Watch for, what, four years now? <laughs> yeah, they they announced it and neither hide nor hair has been. I know, and I, I'm just happy that Hideki Kamiya is probably somewhere and like, oh my God, they can finally leave me the hell alone now. VGC has been like pestering that poor man for years now, asking him like, hey, what's up? And now we finally have a trailer so he can just like rest, like not rest, but rest. He's got me blocked on Twitter. I, I think it's pretty funny how he's been dunking on fan artists for forgetting to draw the mole on Bayonetta's face. I appreciate that dedication to. Yeah, the... I mean, like you don't really see people interact with fans in that openly hostile way. He's like a professional wrestler character. Yeah, like a heel. I don't know. Maybe he's a jerk in real life. Brandon, is, is Hideki Kamio a jerk in real life? I think so, yes. Yeah, probably. I haven't met him for more than 20 minutes, but uh, I don't think he's like your buddy, you know? Yeah. He might not be 
the absolute worst, but I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's someone you chill out with. Yeah, I want to believe it's all an act, but he's too good at it. Nah, for it to be an act. It's definitely not all an act. Yeah, when he blocked me on Twitter, it was because he was talking about his top three games of whatever year it was, like 2018. And two out of the three games he mentioned were games that I worked on. So I was like, hey, thanks. You liked two games that I worked on. And then he blocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he had a lot of criticisms to say about them. And then a lot of people were like, actually, he was only talking about the three games that he thought were notable, not necessarily for good or bad reasons. And here are the things he didn't like about your games. So I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I just want to say thanks for mentioning the two right. games that I worked on. <laughs> I think Brandon Sheffield's output this year really highlights what not to do in a video game. <laughs> That's right. That's how I pitch myself to companies. I'm like, <laughs> I'd hire you. Yeah. Do what I don't. Sometimes you need a bizarro on the team. That guy's angular. Right. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I know about him. He's angular. The only time I played Bayonetta, by the way, is on Wii U. So enjoy that. Factoid. Sure. What is the greatest unsolvable problem in game design? 3D cameras, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nobody's gotten it, huh? Drinking liquid. Oh, yeah. Like one one character handing a thing to another character. Mm hmm. And then like drinking a liquid. I'm just always drawn to the Mass Effect when you like knock back a shot when you're at a bar and it's just like an empty cup and there's no water and you slam it down and your hands this little claw. And it's just uh, it's funny. <laughs> it's hilarious. I think Yakuza does an OK job of drinking. They'll show the liquid go a little bit and they obscure the mouth slightly so you can't see like what's happening. Um, and I don't think water, I, I mean, it's always gin or whiskey or whatever, but I don't think it actually goes away, but it does slosh around in the glass, see the ice. Yeah, I think um, I read somewhere that the most nightmarish thing you can ask a game animator to do is to have a character take off a hoodie or a jacket or put a jacket or a hoodie on. Oh, yeah. Because it's just such a complicated thing to animate with like a spline system, right? The fabric physics. Where do you put the bones in a hoodie? That's right. <laughs> Hood bones. Hoodie bones. Yeah, that must have been tough for those uh, watchdogs and also prototype game developers. I think they, they took the hood off of the guy. Hair is another big one. I was going to say hair. Yeah. We, we still haven't figured out uh, non-white people's hair. But these are all like graphical things. I'm talking about from a game design. Oh, yeah. Game design. Um, The player is my answer. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to account for the player. Yeah, they're always trying to do stuff that you don't want them to. Yeah, you might as well just make a movie. Wash your hands. <laughs> Making people cry. Someone should finally get on trying to solve that one. That's yeah, someone should do it. Yeah, I mean, for sure. That says in Kane of games, we really need one of those, right? Yeah. Like uh, a lot of games incorporate, you know, they, they try to make you feel like you have a choice, but you actually don't have choice because you, your choices you have to pick from whatever. So trying to, you know, simulate free will is something we haven't really cracked yet because yeah. we can't really do anything because we can only pick from a list. Right. Yeah. General gaminess is is probably the biggest issue. Like, you know, you're playing one of the new Tomb Raiders and you got to find three pelts to give to this guy because he wants them so that he can fabricate one third of your uh, crankshaft that you need to. Uh, open one of the three yeah. doors to this palace. One of the things I always think about, having think about recently with the release of New World, is that why are MMOs and massive multiplayer games so hard to make interesting beyond that type of game design, right? Yeah, like, they're so ropey. New World apparently is the same thing where it's just like, you know, subjugate however many number of peoples or something like that, and then you'll you'll get this or that, right? And it's like, I said earlier kind of as a joke to the player, but like the issue is that in these massive multiplayer spaces, like, how do you shepherd people into 
into role playing, you know, and, and playing the part without like it, it all immediately breaking down. I would love to play some sort of like massive multiplayer game which had like interesting open ended challenges to perform and where players chose to like you know the classic story people people tell about things like um, Ultima Online or like they were just a fisherman all day, right? But it was somewhat rewarding to them, like. But as soon as they made um, Fallout seventy six, there were there will be no like NPCs in this. But players didn't want to do any of the NPC stuff, right? So it just ended up just be feeling empty and and useless. So how do you make? How do we honestly create the metaverse? I suppose that's the problem. Yeah, and getting away from grindiness because we yeah. got this link versus stuff kind of push pull perception out there that we need to make. We need to pad these things, make uh, really long, get people keep playing them for a long time, and then you wind up with free to play ish systems. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with them. I think the uh, key to triggering real emotion with a video game isn't a software issue, but a hardware issue. Uh, I have this plan for a controller that I like to call the Cry Controller, oh, where God. much like the uh, Rumble Pack in the N64 days, anytime like a significant character dies or you're betrayed by your best friend, it sprays like a fine onion mist at you. <laughs> oh my so God. So you just cry appropriately when the scene occurs. Oh, we already had the emotion engine in the PS2. I think that was enough for me. I... Yeah, it's true. That thing stank of onions. You ever open up your PS2? <laughs> oh, <laughs> all kind of onions, man. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back after a quick break. Good job, everybody. Ooh. What are your battery lives then? Oh. Uh, 71, actually. So it did go down to percentage because I've been turning it on and off. <laughs> I like checking the battery the whole time. <laughs> I'm still at 83. I'm up to 83. Mine went down to 70 because I was uh, I, I was auto-running some grindy free-to-play stuff in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Insert Credit. It's time to dive headfirst into the dirt bag. Uh, uh, this is the portion of the show where uh, we take a question submitted by a listener generous enough to uh, give us a little bit of money at patreon.com slash insert credit, where you can get access to this form, which will potentially allow you a small role in this ongoing drama. Uh, get access to our regular episodes one day early. One day? <laughs> That's right. One day early. And uh, even exclusive bonus episodes every month and other cool content. Tiger Tiger is the listener I've chosen who cheated by submitting three questions. Burning bright? I, I can only assume. Something something in the night. So we're know. going to devote two minutes to each of them. Oh. A little bit of a lightning round in the middle of the show. Uh, what contributions, if any, did the Dynasty Warrior series have on video? Well, it basically just became a genre that you could slot things into you could do a hyrule warriors you could do a you could do a berserk you could do a you whatever do a persona five yeah put whatever format in whatever thing into that format you want and there it goes it just became like a genre to itself so i think that's the main thing that it did i, I don't think it's done much cross-contamination either has it it's not like no. it's mostly just like dynasty warriors the genre and never the twain shall meet you know it's given you another thing you can do with your IP. Yeah. yeah. And other people have tried to make similar games, but they just are like, here's also Dynasty Warriors. They, they aren't like integrating it into some other situation. Ash, would you play a Bayonetta Dynasty Warriors? I kind of think I would. I would. I don't think Bayonetta has enough characters to support such a thing, though. That's true. Bring in more Sega characters. Yeah. Get Sonic that in That scares there. me. That upsets me. 
like yeah, that idea. Yeah, I don't think they should interact. Oh, it's gonna happen. I think the Bayonetta series canonically takes place after all the Sonic games because it, it opens on the tombstone of Dr. Eggman. Um, <laughs> I mean, who knows? Sonic could still be around. He could be. I mean, Shadow's like 50 years old. Right. Uh, that's how that works. No, you could do you could do a Sonic Dynasty Warriors. That has a, there's a definitely enough characters there, especially Absolutely. if you pull in people from the Archie comics and shit. Oh yeah, we're oh, good. Yeah. Oh yeah, just chock full of echidnas. Yeah. Uh, name a detail in a game that you were impressed by its attention to accuracy and detail. Huh. For okay. instance, uh, they cite the tattoos in Yakuza. Mm. I don't know if I was impressed, but I certainly noticed the food in them Final Fantasy. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I guess I was impressed with the level of detail they went to for the for the ramen ads in Final Fantasy 15. Give you a stupid ramen hat. Yeah, they were really committed to that cross promote. Yeah, they went all the way with it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's kind of the same as Brandon. Like the thing that always impresses me, wrong or rightly, is slavish recreation of real life shit, basically. So right. like anytime I load up one of those Yakuza's or whatever and i you know i walk around you know what is not kabukicho and it's just like what it's actually like i'm like oh yeah i love that shit or just like and the worst thing is when it's like advertising and stuff from the real world where you're like i'm looking at advertising but in a video game i shouldn't enjoy that but i do yeah everybody loves jake from state farm uh their last question is the worst of the three uh considering president reagan is featured in call of duty what circumstances do you think would call for or permit the inclusion of more recent presidents? Nothing. nothing. Please, God, nothing. Yeah, we should never see another president in a video game. No, not a real one, anyway. No. I don't know. We could do Lincoln, maybe. No, not even that. It's too, like, uh, epic bacon. Also, uh, Lincoln is not more recent than uh, Reagan, you'll find. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the answer question is answers itself, isn't it? It's just if the historical events in the video game require the use of a president to be realistic. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nothing requires. Like, you could just make people up. I don't give a shit. Yeah, but I mean, if you're telling a story about, like, something that happened that involves a pres the president, like, it's a like it's like if you're doing a, a game about Watergate, I know that's not more recent than fucking Reagan, but you couldn't be like, and then here's President, you know, John McStanley. Like, that doesn't make any sense because you're not, like, like sure. what's with this anti-president chat? Like, I mean, I'm not a big fan of any presidents, but, like, I mean, if you're going to be doing something historical, historical games have, like, a place, don't they? I guess. Yeah, no, it, I I agree that for history, so if you're like making a Civilization 90s or whatever, you got to right. have Bush and Clinton in there. Let's say if you were making a sim game where you're that guy who throws a shoe at uh, George W. Bush. That'd be a good VR game. Yeah, you got to have Bush in that game. That would be a good VR game. I would play the hell and they could pick your favorite president or your least favorite president to chuck a shoe at. Yeah. I mean, they're all war criminals, so every one of them deserves to have a shoe thrown at them. Yeah, right. get some different things you can throw. I mean, at the very least, have a shoe thrown at them. <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> uh, yes, let's let's make this sim game where you throw shoes at politicians, and we'll call it Chuck Shoe More. Oh, God. Okay, fine. Jesus. <laughs> Take my life and go. <laughs> I'll give right. you points for that. Up Thank you. Uh, upgrade your character to Dutch, and you can throw wooden clogs at them. Nice. Now we're out of the dirt bag. Here's a question I've been thinking about for a while. How do you report on the modding and fan game community when every time you do, it increases the risk that their intense labor of love is going to get shut down? Don't do it for Nintendo games. Yeah, but also like Square Enix games, maybe there's a lot of minefields there and you never know when they're going to pop off. I mean, Sega is cool with it right now and they have been for the last, I don't know, 10 years. But, you know, what if Sega gets purchased by Tencent? 
then are they going to be cool with it? Can you make like League of Legends fan games? Oh, uh, I think Riot is a little more, I don't know, controlling of their API. The than fact that there others. are 10,000 League of Legends dating sims out there tells me no. So, yeah, it seems hard to report on, in my estimation. Uh, there's a lot of reporting on them getting shut down. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said don't do it for Nintendo games. How do you help these often really amazing projects find uh the people who want them side channels like social media and stuff like that i guess you just can't as at least for me as a journalist like you just can't do it like writing about it or anything like that because you know brings unwanted attention but you can absolutely boost it through your like social medias and hopefully it gains traction that way yeah i think you can pay attention to the sage people call it the sage expo but i believe the e in sage but whatever that has a lot of fan games largely sega oriented but not all a lot of stuff gets lost in there um so you can write about those kind of on mass and then maybe it won't take too much attention something i've always wondered about maybe this type of a sideboard here is um you know rather than fan games and stuff you know fan translations and balancing and things like that like is there some legal reason why like when game companies reissue a certain game like they don't just like try and find a way to use that fan translation or something like that like because there's just so many available out there and so many games that would be easy to just push out if you could just like make a handshake agreement with the modders who aren't making any money from it anyway right so like i've often wondered why like we don't see more of that and with maybe frank would know better about this because you know nowadays like a lot of these publishers are using like off-the-shelf emulators so what's to stop them using you know fan translations and things yeah i think some of the issue is related to like there's some weird rights stuff i mean if you pay it's fine but like who helped them what tools did they use was all that stuff on the app before you did it i was having a conversation at one point with a publisher and some people about uh potentially bringing a game here that had ne- to the West that had never been translated and contracting the fan translator at the very least to implement the hack because they had already been hacking it. Because, you know, some, some companies like Digital Eclipse fully understand that, you know, if you're going to translate some of these games, really, you're just, you're, you are doing a fan translation. It's essentially, you're doing the same work. You're, uh, you're patching the game. I think we'll eventually see it. I think there have been a couple times where it's happened, but it's strange that it is so rare. Yeah. Agreed. We should bring back Newgrounds, I think, is the mm. answer to that. It's still there. <laughs> really? How? Now you made me think of that um, unfortunate, well, not unfortunate, well, depending on your perspective, um, Animal Crossing thing. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. No. No, what are you no? talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about? Oh, wow. Um, so remember Zone? Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know some perverts. Yeah, um, they, he made a... um. I mean, Animal Crossing porn parody, and it's set to this like banger of a song. And now, whenever I hear the song, like it activates like this like primal lizard brain thing in the back of my head. Like, yeah. oh, that's a thing. Kind of like leak spin. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that is the kind of thing Nintendo probably should be shutting down. Would they? I would be like, yeah, that's fair. That's that's fair. Yes, yes, <laughs> that is definitely fair. I can't argue with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's give you another opportunity to shine here. <laughs> According to the last survey I took of our listeners, most of them don't really seem to be esports people, but I feel like they're missing out on a lot of the messy Overwatch League drama. 
And I feel like now would be a good time to catch them up. Oh, yeah. I believe this is when I said to you, Ash, that sometimes I, I see you using words and I know that those are I recognize that they're words, but I don't know what any of them mean. Actually, it seems like League has been a little light on drama this year. If we're not counting like, you know, the shitty things players who are no longer players have been doing, which we're not going to count. Um, but there there have always been like some kind of like trade problems or whatever. But I think most of what is so cool about Overwatch esports isn't like messy drama or anything like that. But like imagine a sports anime, like the most stereotypical shonen shit sports anime that you could think of. And that is what happens in the Overwatch League. Like you can't make it up, for example, which, you know, I know why you asked me this question. There was a team, uh, my favorite team. I am a black girl from Ohio, whose favorite team represents Shanghai, China, and it is composed entirely of Koreans. They started the Overwatch League, like their career, like three years ago now, and they went 0-42. They lost every game of the season, which was a staggering amount, 40 games. That's a lot in esports, not for like regular football or whatever. They lost all 40 of those games. And then the first two of the next season, like it was, they were a complete joke, right? And then like a couple weeks ago, they won the Overwatch League Grand Finals, and it'll be the last Grand Finals played on the regular, like, Overwatch client while Blizzard works on Overwatch 2. So it's like wow. a nice little bookend. Yeah, it's like this weird, crazy bookend that happened. Like, this team that lost every game won the Grand Champions of the final, like, that game. Like, they closed that out. How did they turn that around? Uh, very good coaching and player decisions. Just very good shit. Was it the same people, or did they switch out everyone on the team? They switched out everyone on the team. Oh, there you like, go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> the original team was all Chinese players, and they got rid of all those people. And then they switched to all Korean, and they ended up being better. They were the uh, the Shanghai Dragons were the only team that uh, had a girl playing for them for a while. So that was neat. I'm actually wearing their jersey now. So those kinds of stories, like the things that you would imagine that you would see in like a sports movie or a sports anime, that happens regularly. Like rookies, you know, redeeming their team or something like that. An elder statesman who's been in esports for a very long time, you know, comes back for like one last hurrah, like that kind of shit. That happens all the time. And if you know those stories and, you know, journalists, esports journalists in the Overwatch community try our best to tell those stories because, you know, but nobody cares about Overwatch (laughs) except for me. So you can like have an idea of what's going on. But hang around come watch a game yeah. hang around learn learn about it for a little bit and you'll pick up a lot of like really neat interesting fun heartening things i mean i've read that overwatch compared to similar games has a pretty large female player base why doesn't that translate to the uh professional circuit oh you mean like players yeah uh, you know there it's starting to get a tiny bit better and by a tiny bit i mean there's like maybe one or two women in like the the amateur that's directly under the overwatch league that feeds into the overwatch league but it's just like you have to pay attention you have to want to do something like that you have to want to give these players a chance and the gaguri the female player that i'm talking about was actually very good at what she did and it's not like oh we'll throw you a bone or anything like that like she is legitimately talented and they decided like we're gonna we're gonna call this person but like i remember you know at the time people were saying like oh because we're a bunch of boys and bring a girl into this team, we don't want to like break unit cohesion or anything like that. You know, those kinds of things. You, it's got to be something that you want to do, that something that teams want to do. And what I've seen teams do nowadays is that they'll sign women to be like on their content team. 
So they'll uh, like have women stream for them or whatever, but they won't go as far as having them on their team. Not every team is like that. The Paris Eternal has um, a female general manager. A couple teams have like women as their like general managers or even women as their coaches. They're trying, but there's just like one more, like one further step to take. And nobody except for Shanghai has taken that step at this point. This is something I know basically nothing about. So I'm kind of interested just to ask, like, what does a coach do for an esports team? Good question. What does a coach do for a basketball team or a, or a football team? Like, it's the same thing. It, it translates very well, actually. Like they set up drills and stuff? Like, do yeah. they have particular plays in a in an Overwatch game? Like, I don't really understand. I don't play Overwatch or know anything about it. So is it like, you would go here, you would go there, you would claim this piece of zone or whatever? Is it is it kind of like that? It's that kind of, like, guidance. Like, that having that kind of guidance guidance for your team members so they know what to do in situations like if you watch overwatch enough that you you will begin to understand that there are like patterns to plays like on certain maps teams will not always but they'll usually go one route or usually go another route or there are set routes that they can go so kind of like a football play or whatever Mm. and it's a coach's job to like direct that like they can't like direct in the middle of a game the way that a basketball coach can but they can definitely go through with their teams this is what we're going to do against this team on this map or these are the heroes that i want you to play that kind of stuff i imagine like that's how it works honestly and there are good coaches and there are absolutely dog shit coaches. Like the guy who coaches the San Francisco Shock who won like two years out of the four that we've had, like they've had pretty much the same coach. And like that guy's like a god, right? Like his subordinates have gone out to other teams and you, we thought like, oh, like this team, um, this coach was a coach under this bigger coach and he's going to this shitty team and maybe this shitty team will be less shitty. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. And you'll have coaches come in from like the amateur leagues or whatever, and they've had success in their amateur league. And then they absolutely like light it up in Overwatch League proper. Like that's what happened with Paris. That is kind of what happened with Shanghai. That's what happened with uh, San Francisco. So it it functions pretty much the same way you would imagine like a a normal team would, just a a little differently. Is there a Ted Lasso of Overwatch? Like a coach who who doesn't necessarily win a lot of games, but... uh treats his team like a family and everyone wins everyone over whose second season is absolutely dog shit you're meaning wow (laughs) wow strong words i have not seen i I could not disagree more i've been really we should get into this jaffe we should get into it do not spoil that dead lasso season two there as far as i know there aren't really any ted lasso coaches but there are a ton of ted lasso players like there are All a ton right. of players that like have these like shitty teams and they just like love on them and it's great. Like Shanghai was that team for a while. I have a question actually Look. as well. I know we're, this is quite extended by this point, yeah. but I'm interested. My memories of ever any of Rabbit Esports is just about how long the hours are, how hard it is on the players. Like, is that still true? Is it still like a really huge time commitment? Yeah. Um, Overwatch had a bit of that kind of problem like early on in like the first couple seasons. It seems like it's gotten better. The way that this works is like it's a communal thing. Like these teams, they live together in one big house. They practice together. They have set schedules, especially if you're like a a Korean team or or not a Korean team, but a U.S. team that's like comprised entirely of Koreans. So like the Dallas Fuel, for example, they're based in Dallas, all Koreans. So they all have to kind of like live together to form like their own little unit because, you know, these kids are learning English. They don't speak English that well. So they're all together and, you know, it's sun up to sundown, that kind of stuff. 
it's gotten better. Like I think uh, the Overwatch League itself has like rules in place for player protections. It's not like a player union or anything like that, which I think they should do, you know, just as an aside. But they definitely have things in place to where like wellness coaches, they hire chefs. So these kids can like eat food that's not only nutritious, but like will keep them from getting homesick so they can have like the stuff that they're used to getting in Korea or wherever else they're from, you know, that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's it's not as good as or not as bad as it was, but maybe seems a little, I don't know, regimented, potentially abusive. It does really. sound pretty bad to me. Like, it, yeah, I, I, I think of like, you know, I, I've talked previously in the show about how much I like basketball and the bubble when they they did that there was there was a lot of negotiation to make something like that happen right which was them being with their families and everything else like and if you were to ask um, basketball players or football players to live in the same house as all their players in their team there's absolutely no way that would be allowed at this point right and right it just seems really quite it suits me this type of situation where absolutely players should have the players should have more power power to the players yeah, power of the players. Here is our next question. I wanted to talk about Street Fighter esports, but uh, uh, I guess we do that some other time. Let's wait till we have Patrick Miller back on the show to talk about Street Fighter. Oh yeah, that'll be actually an Ash slash Patrick episode just dedicated to esports might be pretty good. Esports, you know where to find me. Yeah, this is a question from my dad. <laughs> How concerned should we be about video game censorship in China? <laughs> uh. I don't know. Like, I find it hard to be concerned about because I can't control it and neither can anyone else. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be censoring stuff over here because they can't do it. The stuff that they're doing over there is like immediately cottage industries pop up every time they're like, okay, we're going to stop people from playing games in this way. We're going to do this and that. And then like, okay, kids can only play for uh, whatever it was, like two hours once a week or something. I, I, yeah. I forget the exact numbers. But immediately there was a, a business that started up being like, we will spoof accounts for you so that you can play more than two hours a week. <laughs> I, I was getting ready to say like, the kids will find a way. Like, yeah. I mean, think of American kids. Like there, there's no, no nothing you can craft oh, to, yeah. to stop them. If the, the people who care enough who want to do it will be able to do it. And the same thing goes for like any kind of censorship. Kind of strikes me as a little... Is, is interesting because there's on the one hand there are the people who are going to work to get the uncensored versions of the games and then the other kinds of like netizens who are like dedicated to the to the censorship like they appreciate that like i'm thinking of what's that what's that hong kong developed game the the winnie the pooh thing i forget oh, that was what that... Uh, taiwan but yeah oh that was taiwan yeah like there are people that will go out of their way to like review bomb a game like that because mm-hmm. like they're insulting like the party or whatever that's interesting to me like those people are all for it and then there will be the other people who are like yeah we'll find a way i'm not worried about it and there's no reason to be as long as they don't try to do that pull that shit over here which actually another overwatch thing kind of happens there is a korean there was a korean player on the korean team korea only has one team china has four china is bigger than korea left yes but esports is well they're probably about the same anyway korean player was expressing his woes on it was either some some like Twitter analogy over there about how, you know, if he wants to appeal to Chinese appeal to Chinese fans, he has to like talk a certain way. And it got into the subject of Hong Kong. And he's like, you can't oh, say it. He was like saying, yeah, you can't say Hong Kong. Like, I don't get it. Like he didn't understand. Right. Uh, you know, he was kind of like confused by this whole like one China thing and the things that people were telling him he had to say in order to like be compliant or whatever. And he wasn't like down with that exactly. So like he said those things and he kind of said like, you know, oh, I'm I'm learning Chinese phrases so I can be a good little dog, you know, that kind of thing. And they kicked his ass for it. If this was right before the season started, 
And the four teams, the four Chinese teams got together and said, we're boycotting. Like, we won't scrimmage with this team at all if this team is, if this person is playing. Wow. Yeah, he was, like, essentially blacklisted. He issued an apology for it. All the other teams, like, got together and um, said, like, they issued statements against it or whatever. And then after he apologized and there was some intervening from the Overwatch League head office and then everything got smoothed over, we never saw him play. He did not play once in for the whole year. So it huh. happens. It can affect, you know... It's tentacles are far reaching, I guess I should say. Yeah, I find this stuff really interesting from an American perspective, because from an American perspective, like pundits over here love to talk about how bad the censorship is in China. And at the same time, we Americans absolutely want to be able to do that same stuff. Like, would football fans love to be able to kick someone out of the league for taking a knee during the anthem? Yes, they would love to. And they basically de facto have. And certain elements, would would they love to be able to not let people play video games? Of course they would. So they're like, China is a big lesson for us all. We've got to watch out for them. But then they turn around and are like, yeah, uh, definitely video games are what caused this shooter to go nuts. It's it's a complicated situation as, as, as often as um, what Ash was talking about sounded like a very serious situation. But it's not so much the censorship in China that people have to be concerned about. It's the way in which the um, essentially like Western capitalism wants to, mm-hmm. you know, do what um, China wants in order to maintain access to that marketplace, Market. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think we've talked previously on the show about things such as Genshin Impact, for example, censoring the mention of Hong Kong, right? I mean, if you are a company who's been bought by one of these large companies, they want your your that project to be available in China to a Chinese market, and in a lot of cases. It's easier to modify a Western product to fit China than it is to make the Western product the way you want it and then give it to China boulderized in some ways, which which bleeds backwards. So I think it's extremely important. We talk about free speech and everything else, but when you have you think about somebody like John Cena, right? Like John Cena recently had to give a terrible crawling apology in Chinese because he referred to Taiwan as a separate country, which it is, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. there's there's just and the fact is that like that type of pressure of you know the the government and the communities, as Ash has talked to, of people who are very uh, rapidly nationalistic in the country, it's challenging. And I think that the important thing is to not simply be concerned, but you know to not support things that crack down on free speech uh, in those ways. So it's um, I'm not as worried about kids in China only get two hours of gameplay a week. That's not important. What I'm worried about is, as you say, the developers of. I wish I could remember the name of that game that you mentioned, Ash, but yeah. those developers oh, essentially having their... By Red Candle Game. Red Candle Game. Red Candle mm. Games essentially having their livelihood crushed and they're not even trying to sell the game in China now, right? Or, um, as you say, this um, esports player who has a very fair point to make, which is like, you know, I'm not Chinese. You know, I don't have the same opinion as Chinese people about, let's say, Hong Kong or Taiwan or anything like that. And, you know, these other people, like, you know, push them down. I, I just, I don't, I think that's the type of thing we should be concerned about. As you, as Brian has said, though, how much can we do about it? Yeah. Well, there's not much more you can do except speak up. Yeah, I mean, I, I just have to accept that my games will probably never sell in China because I'm going to keep saying Taiwan is a, is a country and Hong Kong deserves independence. So, you know. They're going to share $11 billion. Yeah. Yeah. This is a question we previously addressed in episode 200 along with 99 other ones. But we were paid extra by a listener to revisit the question more seriously because we kind of dismissed it the first time around. Uh, What is the Mamma Mia, as in the Abba Jukebox musical, 
a video game. You know what the answer Ooh. was the first time? Uh, it was Mario saying spaghetti. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's quality. Can we just answer that again? As a black person, someone explain to me Mamma Mia. Like, I know what it is. But when they say, what is Mamma Mia? Like, what, what do they mean when they say that? Mamma Mia is a very campy musical uh, about a lady who finds out uh, she has three potential suitors of her mom from years past who could all potentially be her father. And she tries to figure out which one is her real dad uh, while singing a bunch of songs by the band ABBA. I think what's important, though, is the, the sort of cultural context of yeah. ABBA the musical. It was a hit um, West End show, right? Yes. ABBA is... I don't know. How popular are ABBA really in America? They're pretty popular. I mean, so, yeah. they're cer certainly not as much now. <laughs> yeah, but like <laughs> but they in were. the 70s, they were huge. Yeah. At the height of ABBA, they were b as big here as everywhere else. So the thing, the thing that has to be explained some to some respects about Mamma Mia is that ABBA are never not popular in Europe. Like they are ah. consistently popular, like okay. to the point where okay. this. I I don't know if you guys followed any of this news, but they're going to have a permanent installation in the UK, which every night does an ABBA concert with like hologram ABBAs, as in they have had their bodies like scanned and they've done motion caption to motion capture to have weird CGI members of ABBA as young people performing oh, every night. Wow. Terrifying. They Hatsune Miku'd themselves. If you, any, any, like not maybe so much during the pandemic, but any night, any Thursday night, right? Let's say in the UK, right? You could go to a ABBA tribute night in probably every major town because yeah. that's how big, because you have to admit, and I'll just be clear, I don't personally enjoy ABBA very much. I prefer their sadder songs, Winner Takes All, things like that, classic. But they are absolutely titanic, pure pop song writers. You really can't argue that them reaching the peak of the pop song kind of thing, right? And then the crazy thing about Mamma Mia is it was a huge thing because it has, it's the actual thing itself is essentially trash. The sequel is right. like, they're, they're not really good. But much in the same of something like a West End show, like We Will Rock You, people aren't really going for that. They're going for the thing that they already love, right. just presented to them slightly differently. Whatever the Mamma Mia video games is, it might be something that's a celebration of a perennial phenomenon in Europe, but something that had its moment in America. Sonic CD. Hmm. <laughs> for a couple I, I, I was reasons. actually going to go in a similar direction and say Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch make my video for Sega CD. <laughs> Well, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, just to be clear, were never that big in Europe. No, it's true. I, I've kind of removed it from the, the big in Europe kind of thing. But Sonic CD, if only for the fact that Michael Jackson is the rumored person to like work on that soundtrack. That's Sonic 3, though. That's, That's Sonic 3. Oh, then, then I'm in Sonic 3. Then I'm Actually, in Sonic 3. I think you're on the right thing, though, because to me, that would be Sonic Mania. You know, Sonic oh, Mania is... Sonic oh. Mania absolutely works. It's, yeah. it's, it's something you're already people already knew. It's essentially a se exact celebration of that thing. It doesn't remix it too much. It doesn't change it too much. The framework isn't really that important to it. It's just getting the thing you already love, which is classic Sonic, just done again. Right. And Sonic is a thing which had its moment for a bunch of people, but the diehards never gave up hope. For Australia, would it be... Well, maybe this is, is, is too specific, but... In Street Fighter, the movie, the video game, has Kylie oh, Minogue in it. So oh. is that how that works for Australia? Because it's just, it's like, well, that's got Kylie Minogue in it. And again, I don't want to speak for everyone in Australia right now, 
But Australia, the the Commonwealth countries, or the, the more white Commonwealth countries, let's say, which would be the UK and Australia and New Zealand, all have very similar cultures, actually. So, like, I'm pretty sure in New Zealand and Australia, they fucking love ABBA as well. So it's probably <laughs> still Sonic Mania there. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, I think we solved it, which means it's time to go on to our lightning round. Uh, this is a new game uh, that we're, is going to make us a lot of money. Yes. Uh, that I am calling Mashup Merch. Everyone knows that the most popular merchandise is when you mash up a thing with another thing. So I'm going to name a video game or game series, and you have to pitch me something to cross it over with and how we can use that to sell thousands of t-shirts. Can you give me an example? The Star Wars cast drawn as Calvin and Hobbes characters, and that sells thousands of copies. Does it, though? It does. It makes people money hand over fist, and until, uh... Somebody finds them out and gives them a DMCA or something. Yeah, Rasta Bart smoking weed. Exactly. Oh, Mm. God. Yeah. Your first series is Crisis. Crisis. Uh, You had to make this as hard as possible, didn't you, Uh, Jeffy? Yeah. (laughs) I think, uh, wait, does it have to be another media franchise or just something else? It can just be anything else. So I think Crisis, you uh, you market with GPUs. Like the main character looks like a goddamn GPU, frankly, um, or like an alienware case or whatever. I think I think I have more of the idea of what Jaffe means. I would go for Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's all the DC characters and the Crisis characters there, and it's on a team. Ah, oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, and, yeah, and it would be like kind of a mashup of all the oh, right. Crisis and Far it's Cry. It's mashing people. up. Sorry. All and everything okay, Far Cry wear. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You do it in a big poster style. Why not? Somebody's carrying somebody in a Pieta pose. Uh, Panzer Dragoon. Oh, interesting. Is it? That's the. Um, is that FromSoft or is that who is that? Uh, that's Sega. That's Sega? Uh, uh, Panzer Dragoon is is uh, Saturn and um, and Xbox. Does it have to be a non-game or could it be another game? It could be another game. It just has to be another recognizable thing that people would be like, oh, that thing. So Panzer Dragon Dragoon. Um, yeah. I. <laughs> Yeah, let's mash up two pretty obscure franchises over here. Um, uh, what would that look like? I guess it's 2B riding a dragon. It just misses the uh, the, the running around on the ground parts of yeah. Dragon Dragoon and is otherwise almost... All right, Tenchu. Tenchu and Tenchi Muyo, because I've always I was going to say Tenchu Muyo? Tenchu yeah, Muyo. Tenchu Muyo. Yeah. Yeah. She's really yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that might actually sell a few things. I think it might. Sensible World of Soccer. <laughs> ah, come on, that's always going to get through a whole fucking episode, you twat. <laughs> uh, let me think. Sensible uh, World of Soccer and FIFA. That would actually do really I was going to well. say, have you seen the screenshots coming out of Konami's soccer game today? Ooh, that's uh, fun. Um, Sensible World of Soccer and Captain Tsubasa, the soccer anime. I'm sorry I keep going to anime, but um, trying to make money. Yeah, uh, that, that's how you do it. Metroid. Me- no, okay, so I've got a merchandise thing. Crossover Metroid with, like, bespoke infant care. A line of baby stuff, Metroid-themed. Oh, sure. Like a baby Metroid and a baby mother brain, a baby crane. No, 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 I mean, like, swaddling clothes and cribs and, like, a, a mobile that's just a bunch of Metroids, like, hanging huh. above your child. I would buy that. Yeah, that I could see that getting sold on, like, Geekly. Yeah, like Think Geek or something. Or Fan Gamer. Uh, yeah, I could totally. I have that. I have one other. It's it's like a non-profit thing. This wouldn't make us a bunch of money, but it would help the the Monterey Bay Aquarium. 
Yeah. So save the animals. Because <laughs> they've got, well, sure, you got save the animals from the speedruns. And then also, uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium specializes in jellyfish. So there's a pretty clear, like, Metroid alignment there. Yeah, that's a pretty altruistic idea, but it's not going to make us any money. So I'm going to have to deduct points from you. For that. <laughs> uh, roller Coaster Tycoon. Six Flags. Sounds See? dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm struggling with this one. I don't one. know. I think R- Roller Coaster Tycoon would would tie in with some terrible Bitcoin NFT nonsense. Oh yeah. Uh, because it's got the word Tycoon in it. Everybody wants. It. Yeah. Or you could do like a Five Nights at Freddy's thing or something, where like you expand it into a theme park. Yeah. I feel like that's a sensible direction for the franchise. Mm-hmm. You can put that on a T-shirt. Grim Fandango. With Fandango. Yeah. Grim Fandango sells movie tickets now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just Manny Calavera hanging out on the website. Yeah. Double fine writing intros to like horror movies for October. Yeah. I would like that actually. Uh, Zone of the Enders. Hmm. Auto Zone of the Enders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get in the sound. Where you could like get your mech details. <laughs> yeah, get your mech parts. That... Does Auto Zone yeah. still exist? Yeah. Yes. I thought they I, got I... bought out by O'Reilly. O'Reilly of the Enders. No, Auto yeah. Zone of the O'Reillys. <laughs> oh, God. Microsoft Flight Simulator. Well, they just did a thing with, they're just doing a thing with Top Gun, aren't they? Oh, they got it, yeah. No, they no, are. They, they, they are? are? Really? Yeah, they're doing a thing with Top Gun. No kidding. What are they doing with Top Gun? I don't know. You can fly the Top Gun ships and stuff. Yeah. All right. That's what they call them, ships, right? Yeah, ships. Airships. <laughs> Planes, I don't know. Like spaceships, airships. Uh, Fuck it. Okay. <laughs> Man, you know, next time I get on a plane, I'm going to I'm gonna talk it and call it an airship. Well, I'm getting on the airship. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm getting on the, the, the rigid dirigible. New World is our last one. A game I know nothing about, but apparently millions of people There's are no way for us to make money on, on anything owned by Amazon. So it's just right. about making Amazon more money, which means yeah. it's a Whole Foods promotion and they can keep all their money in the family. Colonize the New World and, you know, gentrifying neighborhoods one step at a time. Yeah, yeah. so maybe with some redistricting initiatives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'd make a lot of money doing that, actually. And that's our game. I think uh, I'm tallying up the points here. And uh, just by a hair, uh, Ash Parrish is our winner this week. Congratulations, Ash. Congratulations. Uh, And what put you over was your uh, staggeringly high uh, (laughs) phone battery charge at the very start of the episode. Right now is the part where we recommend things to people uh, that uh, either we're working on or that we would like them to uh, read or watch or play or get involved in somehow, or uh, just uh, ways they can use their time well between this episode and the next. Uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, Matthew, go ahead. The day we're recording is actually the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, which uh, in Canada is a, a, a sort of a new holiday, basically, which makes it sound very festive. But it's for basically people to remember the what was done to the indigenous people who live in this country, basically, and a lot related to do with what were called residential schools, where uh, the children of indigenous people were taken and educated to try and stamp out their culture, basically. Something to kind of remember is this is actually a very recent part of history that was these the last school, I think, was only closed in 1996. And if you were the children of one of those schools, um, your chances of survival was, in fact, lower than a soldier in the Second World War. Apologies if people find this upsetting, but, you know, many mass graves have been found, thousands of children were lost, and, you know, this is an attempt for people in Canada to face up to a colonial history. I think, personally, as as an immigrant um, and someone who comes also from a colonized people, um, it's it's kind of hard to 
understand and and face up to the fact that you yourself are a colonizer. So um, I think this is really important for people from of all types of people to to read up on. And if you're Canadian or you're interested in the Canadian um, situation, one of the things that's most recommended is mostly just to educate yourself. So there's a Truth and Reconciliation Commission report, um, which I recommend reading. I will, in fact, tonight be spending time reading. Apparently, the, the um, executive summary is very easy. There are a bunch of calls to action, which you could read if you're interested in involving. And if you're not Canadian, but you, let's say you live in America, you live in South America, you live in Australia, or another country with, with a history of, of colonialism, I think something that's very interesting to look at is um, to look at uh, the website nativeland.ca. So that's native-land.ca. And that will sort of reveal to you the native lands on which you are living and working. Something which is a positive thing to do, um, which I'm not directly recommending, but I think it's worth exploring, is to perform land acknowledgements when you mm-hmm. put out creative work or you are performing an event, for example. I have been told that the best thing to do is to discuss with your local Indigenous communities to make sure that you're performing the acknowledgement in a way that reaches, you know, is respectful to them. You don't want to just do it based on this website. So I, I do think that. The most important thing to do is to educate you about this self and try and do what you can from that point on to be active or, or make it known about. And um, yeah, so I just I just felt on a day like today, it was important to mention that. I'm checking out the website now. It's very interesting. The uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission reports are at nctr.ca. I'll add on to that. Um, if you live in the Bay Area, look up Shumi Land Tax, S-H-U-U-M-I land tax and that is voluntary annual contribution that non-indigenous people living in the basically the bay area can make to work on rematriation uh, returning indigenous land to indigenous people um specifically one thing they want to do is establish a cemetery to rebury stolen ohlone and ancestral remains and uh stuff like that man when they built they built this huge complex over here the uh, bay street complex and it was done by destroying a shell mound because those aren't valued as as relics here because they're indigenous created and they were talking about doing a great job of uh, taking care of all the artifacts and whatever but my buddy who worked at pg&e was like yeah i just saw human bones stuffed in a closet what i saw um wow. so God. look up shumi land trust that a good thing you can you can do if you're living in the bay area but there may be other things like that wherever you live don't live there uh, I also want to recommend uh, First Nations Band that I'm I'm afraid I'm going to have a difficult time pronouncing this. I know you're not supposed to uh, apologize and just go for it, but it is. I, I feel bad, but it looks to me like Ushang Bagush is the name of the band. The album is called MNTU, and it's someone from the uh, Mi'kmaq tribe in the Boston, Massachusetts area. And it's a very excellent solo black metal kind of second wave-ish album. And it's really good. To everyone's point, um, actually, Indigenous Peoples Day is um, Monday, October 11th, which is in a couple of weeks for people who live in the United States. So um, coming up, take the effort, yeah, to to figure out where you are. Like I live in a place called uh, Cuyahoga Falls, which is um, a Mohawk uh, word for Crooked River, for the Cuyahoga River people like to make fun of that caught on fire once in the 70s but we're way past that so grow up y'all um as for um other recommendations um play sable sable's a really good game can't recommend it enough it looks nice sure what's good about it 
So, um, anybody a fan of Japanese breakfast? She uh, does the music. Uh, for that, you man. know, I like fish filling off, but not in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you get out. She does the music for the game, and it's really good. But it's like imagine a soft, like you know how we spell soft on the internet with an e. Imagine a soft Breath of the Wild. It's a game where you're completely in control. Like you're the engine. You decide how much or how little you want to do. Um, it, it's a, it's a journey of like self discovery. It's got great graphics. You get a little speeder bike and you get to like zoom over like the dunes, like this incredible like Mobius uh envi- inspired environment. Like the um I think it was a French comic uh Mobius, like that kind of art style. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just a brilliant game. A lot of fun. Very like slow, soft exploration based. You'll have a great time. And it's got like banging music. Like if you've got like an hour to kill and you just want something chill to it is new. So prepare for that. It looks nice. um, Anything. Yeah. Anything other than that. Like I just can't recommend it enough. Well, I've got some recommendations. Here's what I would like to recommend. I'd like to recommend that if you're listening to this show on any platform where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, that you engage with us in that way to keep the algorithms pushing us upwards and forwards. I do read those reviews. I am heartened by them. They brighten my day. Maybe someday I'll remember to read them on the show. Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash insert credit. That's another way to help out. Or you could become a patron to submit your own topics. Get our regular episodes one day early. (laughs) <laughs> yes, one day early, and even access monthly bonus episodes and other exclusive content. You can also join us on forums.insertcredit.com and follow us on Twitter for our own personal updates and projects. The show is at Insert Credit. I'm at Alex Jaffe. Brandon is at NecroSofty. Matthew is at Matthew Kumar with one T only. And Ash is Ad Astra. The show is edited by Esper Quinn with music. <laughs> by Kurt Feldman. Once more, I'm Alex Chaffee. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Matthew Kumar. And I'm Ash Parrish. And you have now completed the episode. Congratulations. Um, uh, here's the secret that I haven't told you all. When I flew today from Florida back to New York, I forgot my laptop charger. So right now it is at 28% and I won't get a way to charge it until I get a new one shipped to me. Living on the edge. Yeah. No, you're going to say, here's the secret guys. I haven't told you I'm naked right now. And I was going to be like, oh my God. Why are you telling us this? <laughs> I thought you were going to announce something fun, like you had been picked up by like the Art Heart Radio like network or something like that. That'd be nice. No, 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 no. The secret is that I have 47 minutes remaining on this battery.